1: This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, February 22nd, 2020.
2: The only thing we have to fear... The economic health of this nation has been... ...for essential
0: economic freedoms. The excessive decline... ...in the dollar... ...it's a
1: so late rally on Wall Street... ...too big to fail... ...growing the economy... ...growing the economy... It's amazing what's
2: been going on with the economy. Welcome. 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 Yeah. This is Money Talk. Money good morning, you're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest running, most respected money show on radio, I'm your host, Nick Antonucci, analyst here at Hensler Financial, and I'm joined today by uh, Casey Smith and Jared McKenzie, both from our planning and implementation department, both of you guys our certified financial planners. Thank you guys for being here with us today.
0: Glad to be back. Hopefully
2: Amen. an exciting show with us three on it. Talk a little bit about some listener questions, some uh, stocks making names in the market, the market as a whole over the week, and then dive in, as we always do, to a uh, financial situation that's uh, you know not too uncommon amongst our clients. Yep.
3: Never um, a dull one with that'll, this,
2: this that'll, crew on here. That's right. That's what we <laughs> like to think. So.
1: We're up for shenanigans today.
0: That's yeah, there's right. going
2: to be a lot of jokes. We we might goof <laughs> off a little bit too much, but we'll we'll try and keep it fun uh, anyway. Yeah,
0: give you some good info to, to pass along to your friends.
2: That's right. Well, prior to today, guys, it was, you know, let the good times roll for the week. Mm-hmm. Markets were higher, but then, unfortunately, today, um, major indexes are down about a half a percent, fluctuating down half a percent to a whole percent intraday um, for the week we're down 21 basis points um, kind of safe haven sectors have been the place to go this week you've got utilities up 1.71 percent real estate communication services worst performers industrials cyclical healthcare, not cyclical not cyclical defensive down <clears> one percent <throat> energy which energy just can't seem to win anymore
1: no, they they lose in all markets. Yeah,
2: like it, let, let's look let's look over the one year period. The market was up twenty three point four one percent, February twentieth of nineteen through today. When we're recording this, February twentieth, energy's down twelve point four six percent. Crazy. Tech, on the other hand, up forty eight percent. Utilities up twenty nine percent. It's it's really an yeah. interesting dynamic you see there. Mm-hmm. You think tech, right? High growth makes sense that it's up a lot. Yeah. Second-best performer of the one-year utilities. You don't really get growth there. That's your stable cash Interest flow. rates,
1: though. That's your bond dividend proxy. Pairs.
2: Exactly. That's exactly what it is. When you can only get 2% in bonds, or you look at the 10-year, 1.6% or less.
1: Yeah, so are we inverted now on the, the, not the 2 and the 10, but we're inverted like on the 3-month. The 3-month three
2: three and, yeah. and the 10-year. 10 10 and year. that happened last year, 2019, and then towards the end of 2019, reversed. So we weren't inverted, had a positively sloping yield curve, right. and once again, uh, inverted.
1: But you're so, not hearing all the screaming about the recession that's coming. You're not. And, you know,
2: I, I, I kind of have my thoughts on – and economic – I'll go ahead and say economic f- fundamentals as a whole for the U.S. still look pretty solid. You even had the weakest part of the economy we were seeing this manufacturing. And in January, you had the ISM manufacturing. Pick back up above the neutral threshold, yeah. in fact, it was in contraction for like four months it's gone back positive to like fifty two point six in January, so big right. surprise there that's great it's come so out of its own overall fundamentals look good, yeah, but I can't help but think that we are downplaying the potential effects of the coronavirus globally well that and there's, some, there's, had, there's are some other
0: things going on too though I mean how you just say the other day about the uh, earnings for i t you just said they were up almost fifty percent on the year what their earnings do. About one percent. Yeah, exactly. yeah, not a lot. Yet so, Apple,
2: Apple's earnings were flat, and mm-hmm. the, and the stock was up eighty percent in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, makes you um, makes you wonder. Yeah, but but two two kind of, I don't know if you'd consider them black swan events. Yeah, I, d- I definitely wouldn't consider them black swan, but one off type events. You have the coronavirus, and you have the issues with Boeing. It's seven thirty seven max plane. Both of those are going to cut into GDP mm-hmm. for the yeah. first quarter of 2020, right? Sure. So we're 2.1%, I think. Um, last year, fourth quarter of last year, we're looking about 1.7%. Some are seeing uh, you know, estimate revisions down to uh, the low ones, 1.2, 1.3. Um, yeah. But you've only had three big companies, I feel like, come out and really acknowledge the potential effects. Apple just last week yeah. came out and talking about the disruption of factories in China. You've had Adidas come out, and you've had Under Armour come out. But we all know that there's much greater implications. How much manufacturing occurs in China? A lot.
1: Well, and how much of how much of that is coronavirus, and how much of that is the trade? You
2: know? I think both. And But the thing – I'm kind of torn as to how to think about this, because now you can have companies come out and miss estimates, and they're just going to say, oh, it's the coronavirus. Yeah, they yeah. have an out now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I mean – I think that I think that is going to be a factor. I mean, but if you look back at previous pandemics, whatever you want to call this coronavirus thing, I mean, the the most recent one I guess was the Ebola uh, it was 2014, pandemic in twenty had Haven't been anything since then. And I mean, the, the market did did sell off some during that. I think. It, and it you always down. buy the dip,
2: right? right. You always advise buy dip. However, I do think this is slightly different because Ebola wasn't as prolonged as this. Ebola didn't have entire towns under quarantine. Mm-hmm. You just have to question some of what's coming. I don't know what to believe. Small little towns China. in
1: China, though. It's only 11 million people.
2: Yeah, tiny, <laughs> you know, <laughs> insignificant. Yeah. How big is Atlanta? Like yeah. seven, eight million? Yeah. Like that. Yeah, tiny little town, tiny little city here in Atlanta. So I'm, you have not seen the markets really price in any sort of risk. You know, yeah. we're still right near all-time highs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's a weird dynamic because you see the fundamentals being relatively strong. I mean, you know, unemployment's still really low, consumer sentiment is is really high.
2: Absolutely, um, retail sales. You have four straight months of retail sales growing.
1: We've seen manufacturing 3.1%. have a, a little bit of a contraction for a few months, but now it's back to positive territory. where are we're seeing a slight expansion possibly in manufacturing. So, what is to what kind of water can you throw on this? you know, uh, economy right now. I mean, so, and the trade war, it's shrugged. The market has just shrugged off any kind of negative news that we've had really since, uh, you know, the end of 2018. Yeah. Um, and we haven't seen any calls for, you know, we had the, the, um, yield curve inverted last year. There was a lot of talk about it. and The market didn't really react to it. And so what is it going to take for this market to, start to turn negative. I mean, we've seen blips, but I don't nothing know any I, I
2: truly don't know anymore uh, yeah. what it takes. I mean, when you look at all we've been through and the market hardly seems to react to negative headlines any longer. If it does, it's short lived.
1: And just like you said, now they have an out. I mean, if they can point to coronavirus as a reason for it's missing earnings, it's not a earnings, core.
2: It's not a core fundamental deteriorating. It's a one-off exogenous event that has driven.
1: With the exceptions of the the airline industry and like travel industries, I think that those are going to be a little harder hit, obviously. But if you're any other major company, and Apple, and Adidas, uh, Under Armour, what have you. You can just point to coronavirus. That's why yeah. we missed our earnings, and they're, but
2: they're revising. Here's the thing It's like you look at an Apple, right? Where is all the growth in Apple coming from? It's certainly not here.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's from no,
2: China, it's, absolutely. It's it's their biggest growth market, and you have cities entirely shut down.
1: Well, Apple, what did eighty five percent last year? Eighty plus percent. And what did earnings
2: grow by? Not they didn't. Like they were five. like flat. Yeah, I think earnings were flat, just mm-hmm. about. So. And, I,
1: in what world is that sustainable long-term? I mean, I don't
2: know. Right. I guess the one positive, at least the first half this year, if you look at earnings estimates for 2020, first half of the year is pretty ugly. It's pretty much flat. Now, full year, they're, they're talking 8% earnings growth. So yeah. if you look later on in the year, growth expected to pick up a bit. Um, so solid earnings growth on the year, 8%. But I just still don't know that, when the in, my, in my opinion, you justify a 23 PE somewhere in there on the market, uh, with 8% earnings growth.
1: And 8% earnings is n- not bad. No. But to have a valuation at 22
0: times, The market was times, up
2: 31% last year, and yeah. earnings didn't really grow that yeah, much. No Certainly near.
0: not. Think, and what, to, what you were saying earlier, I mean, the, the headlines, you know, the market's just become numb to them, I think, because there's been so many of them that have affected the market. It's been, especially year to date, it's been kind of a roller coaster. And it's just become pretty numb, but I don't... As you were saying, Nick, these are not sustainable. Or Casey may have mentioned that, but the, the the current rate and and projection that we're on is just not sustainable. And I think that as they always do, the numbers are going to tell the truth. And you've already starting to see some of that. And like for instance, earlier this week, Walmart did they miss? Yeah, they, they missed. They missed. Yeah. Right. I mean, come on, that's that's one of the biggest retailers in the country. And it's not to say that that you know there's there's dire times ahead, but I think you start to get a few more WalMarts. Do that, yeah. and now that's where the real concern comes in because it's one thing for companies, you know, that up until this point they haven't really missed. then maybe that's because they've been buying back stock, and you know, it's kind of misguided because of the earnings aren't really growing. Well, but then you also like have
2: you yeah. also have President Trump talking about some sort of incentive now mm-hmm. for companies to buy, to buy stock. back stock. It's yeah. like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are that's we doing? That's really gonna
0: skew stuff, yeah. It's just not. It's not sustainable, and how far this is going to take us down, who knows? But I just, I feel like we see a few more WalMarts, and we're looking at a very, very different market because you get players like that that come in missing it, and that starts to really tell the story. Because, like I said, that's we always get the real story in those numbers, right? Headlines these days can say whatever these journalists want them to say, but the numbers don't lie. And maybe occasionally they can be fudged, like in the case of buying back the stock, and right. you know the earnings looking like it increases, but it really doesn't. It's just that the company bought back a bunch of stock, yeah, and so your shares outstanding, yeah, earnings per Not share, a per share basis, it exactly. Was higher. So you know who who knows, but I, I just things are so close to being on the brink as it is. I don't know that it's going to really take much, anyways, for it to send it over that cliff. I guess time will tell, though.
2: Yeah, like I said, the economy still—you know—economic fundamentals remain intact. Not a huge, you know, flashing red red signal going on there for a recession. But because yeah. you know, we'll we'll take a quick break here. Come back, we can uh, dive into the financial situation, and we can even revisit a little more of what went on in the last week um, with economic releases and the dog of the week. We'll be right back. What
3: We need is candle light. You and me and the bottle of wine. You ain't nothing but a hound dog.
1: This is the dog. The dog of the week.
3: It's that
2: time, guys. I can't promise anything off the walls like Troy would normally do, right? <laughs> I mean, the stuff he comes up with, I really don't know how he finds it. I don't either. But it's real. But this week, you can tie this into the financial world just because of how much this individual makes, yet they still have to find other ways to make some sort of income. Uh, You guys are both football fans. you probably heard about this. Cleveland Browns player Greg Robinson arrested for allegedly possessing 157 pounds of marijuana. Now, the headline says in a rental car. We'll get into that. But it's like you're trying to go to Mexico with 157 pounds of marijuana. <laughs> yeah. It's clearly not for you unless yeah. you're going That's for personal what, use, what I would what assume. Yeah, about. exactly. No <laughs> intent to distribute. But wow. this guy, last year alone, he made $6.4 million playing for the Browns. His prior contract, he made $21 million over four years. What are you doing? You don't need this money. Yeah, that doesn't well, I mean, sense at all. Depending on how you spend it, you might need this money.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, or
2: maybe I mean, you owe someone a favor. I don't know. How much,
1: how much does 157 pounds of marijuana cost? Why are you asking me?
2: I don't know. <laughs> maybe I should be asking you. Oh, you think
0: somebody makes that much money? If you really are going to be into that, what are you doing with it yourself? You think exactly? You'd be tied well, in. here's
2: the best part. He was in an Uber. <laughs>
0: Of course, he got the side hustle all wrong. It was the Uber you're
2: supposed to be doing. Yeah, exactly. Not the exactly. It says, <laughs> it says Robinson told the Uber driver he would pay them to the claim the marijuana. The complaint said, according to the release, was his. The driver refused and said they would not have driven had they known about the drugs.
1: If it was yeah. 15 pounds, he might have taken the, the hit. But yeah, exactly. 157. That's too <laughs> <much>. Everybody's <laughs> no. got their limits. Yeah, kidding. Also, exactly. you're just
2: going to take a gentleman's agreement right there with the dude yeah. smuggling drugs across the border that he's going to, he'll make you whole for taking. Taking That's the fall ridiculous. for this? You've heard of Uber Eats. This is Uber Uber <laughs> Smokes. <laughs> You're going to wow. need Uber Eats after 157 pounds of marijuana. Yeah, it's it just you know you see these athletes and celebrities. You have all the money you could need for a lifetime. It's you not. Know. It
1: can't be about the money. I don't know what it is. Just, you know, I don't I, understand. I don't. As I saw that headline too, and I. I'm glad you picked that as the dog because I meant to talk to you guys about
2: this. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, the irony is that he just put the same money he probably spent on that into the market. He probably would have made more on that six million he right. earned last year. See, this is yeah, all about financial. Thirty percent
2: on yeah six million. Maybe we need yeah, to two teach a two million bucks class at
0: I don't know what 157 pounds cost, but I don't think it was two million bucks. I mean, I don't know. I don't. We have to get back <laughs> on the next <laughs> yeah, show yeah. after we'll we, do we some research. Numbers. We'll do some research. The research intern's got a whole new job next week.
2: That's right. That's absolutely right. Well, shifting gears here, guys, as we do every week, kind of want to talk a financial topic, um, case study, if you will. And we're, we're
1: just talking a financial
2: topic. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right, marijuana. <laughs> I mean, here's earning a, topic earning a lot of money. Um, but the, the the topic this week is really the 10-year rule, um, and if you are a client or you've listened to the radio show... For any extended amount of time, you're probably familiar with it. You guys being the financial planners in the room, I'll let you kind of take the lead here, dig in, and explain what exactly the 10-year rule is for those who don't already know.
1: Yeah, I mean, so uh, in essence, it's a pretty simple strategy. You know, it's it's uh, the 10-year rule says if you expect to have any needs from your portfolio, whether that be taxable accounts, IRAs, what have you, If you expect to need to spend any of that money or or distribute that money out of those accounts over the next 10 years, then that portion should be invested in fixed income investments so that it's not subject to the volatility of the market, the stock market. Right. Um, The rest of the money that you don't need in the next 10 years should be invested in the stock market because that's where we believe you're going to get the the best returns over a long period of time, like 10 years or greater.
2: Yeah, and and I like to think back just to to the financial crisis, right, 2007-2008. Had you had all of your money invested in equities and <coughs> – excuse me um, – you're pulling that money to live off of, right? Had you been mm-hmm. following the 10-year rule, any money you need in the next 10 years would have been in fixed income assets. If you weren't following the 10-year rule, you would be selling out of equities at the – you'd be forced to sell out of equities right. at the bottom of the market yep. when the asset levels are depressed when really – you want to be buying. You right. wouldn't be buying at those depressed levels. Well, if you're following the ten year rule, you have right. that money in fixed income assets, high quality fixed income assets, so mm-hmm. you wouldn't have seen quite anywhere near the level of drawdown you saw in equity prices. Exactly. And you'd be able to just as that that money those bonds mature, you're getting face value. Yeah and you're able to live that's off that, your money and, that you're and living you let that with. those equity returns the pick back up and, and grow back to where they were Before the the financial crisis, much higher now. The thing
1: that it does more than anything else, in my opinion, is it it gives people peace of mind to know that you don't have to sell. Yes, the market's down 50% during that time. I mean, it was. 52% was the S&P. You would not have had to sell. Now, you may have wanted to sell. You may have been fearful, as a lot of people were, and a lot of people did make the mistake of selling into that down market Mm -hmm. or at at or near the bottom. If you would have had the money set aside in fixed income, you would have uh, been able to write it out, and feel confident that, okay, well, it's only been two years, three years, market's down, but I've still got seven years or eight years' worth of money that's sitting there that will provide for my spending needs, so I don't have to worry about the market.
0: Yeah, Nick. Nick said the key word, and that is forced. You know, I mean, that's what it really comes down to is not being forced to sell because you don't have any other cards to play, so to speak. You Mm -hmm. know, if all you've got is equities and everything is in growth, then if you're pulling from your portfolio and you need that money, then you're not going to have a choice. But having some of that set aside into fixed income and getting the optimal yield or return on that that you can really then allows you to match that expected liquidity need, as you were saying, Casey, with the maturity of of that fixed income security. And, And that really helps to plan for that liquidity so that regardless of what the stock market is doing, you're going to have the money that you need in order to provide for spending. So, yeah, like you said, it may be be concerning that the market's down, but not to the extent that you are about to be forced to sell into that down market and make matters worse. next point, you can can wait around on it to come back.
1: Yeah, it's a behavioral thing, too. I mean, it gives us a safety blanket, and having that feels good. I mean, it feels nice to know that you've got 10 years' worth of money that's sitting inside. Granted, it's invested in bonds, right? It's not something that is going to be super exciting and you're not going to run tell all your friends at the country club about (laughs) how much money you're making in CDs. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, but you look back during that top of the market 10-9 of 07 to March 9th of 09, Mm -hmm. when equity prices got cut in half, bonds were up 6% on an annualized basis. The Barclays Aggregate Bond Index I think was around 6%. Well,
0: and that's what people need to understand these days, which is I, I think why we're coming back to this topic as we do every now and then because especially at times like this when markets are at their heights, it's a really good time to actually cover for some of this liquidity and and pick up that 10 years worth so that you've got a full bucket, so to speak, when when it comes to the fixed income portion. And, you know, you you don't have to worry when we do go into the next downturn, whenever that may be, that you are going to be forced to sell equities. This is a, a great time to start thinking about selling some of... Uh, the positions that you've got large gains in, taking some of that off the table. Yeah, we just talked
1: about Apple, how it ran yeah. up to 85% yeah. last year. So more, if you own Apple in your portfolio, and we do, it's a recommended position that we have. So it's a great time to, to trim, trim some of that back.
2: Rebalance your portfolio. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, we're not sitting here saying we don't expect Apple t- to perform well. Yeah. We're saying the stock was up 80% last year. Right. Rebalance your portfolio. If the recommended weight's two and a half percent and it's outgrown to be four percent now, mm-hmm. let's get it back down to that recommended weight. Take some profits. Yeah. And as you said, as you're kind of readjusting your portfolio, taking some away from growth, putting in fixed, filling those buckets to make sure that you do have 10 years of liquidity. There's a lot to consider. You know, mm-hmm. taxes, taxes, mm-hmm. Is one implication. If it's in a taxable oh, account, yeah. that is might not be. Yep. Um, And then beyond that, you want to look at. Valuation on, on the individual positions, cyclicality. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you right now, if if you're looking at me saying I have Apple and Southern Company and I need to trim one to to fill that fixed income bucket, I'm going to trim Apple. It's a lot more cyclical or an industrial right. than a Southern Company, utility company. Yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, and you mentioned the taxes, and that is usually the biggest pain point for our clients to try to get convince them to either trim some back or to wholesale remove a position that is no longer recommended because, well, I don't want to pay the tax. And I get that. No, don't get me wrong. Well, Especially when you're telling the them you're going to
0: buy something that earns them
1: 3 or 4% tops. Well, true, yeah. Right? I mean, if it's going to be put into fixed income. But even if you're just rebalancing the portfolio to move it into more equities, uh, you have to look at it and i you know i always say i wish that custodians would report the after-tax value of these accounts so that you don't even think about what the true you know the gross value is because that's not what you're going to realize right. from these investments but i mean at the end of the day if i bought something for a dollar and it's now worth 2 dollars i'm okay to pay 15 cents on that dollar that i made y- mm-hmm. you know
2: i i think of it as you can either pay the tax now nobody likes paying the tax man right realizing the gains but your alternative is continue to hold it, hold it, hold it, let it appreciate. If you pass away or something and your beneficiary gets to step up and base, something like that. But the alternative is, well, what if the stock gets cut in half now and you just gave away all your gains? Yeah. What was the purpose?
1: Well, it doesn't even take that much. It doesn't take, you know, it, it, we do this exercise with people sometimes. It's, you know, think about if you have a stock that's worth $10 um, and you bought it for a dollar. you know, it's run up $9, $9 a share. Well, you just have to pay 15% 15 of that $9 gain, Mm -hmm. so the stock only has to fall by, what, a couple of bucks? just
0: a few percentage points. Yes.
1: It's not even 15%, it's it's, it's less than that, so if you're giving that money back by holding it if it it goes down, so it's better to pay pay the tax, reposition yourself so that it's more safe, you have uh, some level of... Of comfort there, and, and you're positioned to ride out any kind of downturn that we might yeah. run into. Well,
0: think about it: if it fell ten percent, you'd be really worried, and then you'd probably be starting to think about wanting to sell it.
1: And, then and you're looking at it saying, "You got a huge gain yeah. still left, yeah. so
0: don't you don't want to hesitate, especially in a market like this where things are so volatile and, and you know don't close let the to pack's the edge."
1: Tail wagged the investment dog. There
0: you go. That's
2: right, as we always say around here. Well, you know, there's a few more things I think are worth mentioning on this topic. So you know, we'll take a quick break here. When we come back from the break, um, we'll get into maybe where you draw from first. Um, And if you don't think you need 10 years of liquidity, maybe some type of modification to the 10-year rule. You listen to Money Talks. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Talks. I am your host, Nick Anthony, joined by Jared McKenzie and Casey Smith. And guys, where we left off, we we're kind of wrapping up more or less about the 10-year rule, um, You know, ensuring that you have 10 years' worth of liquidity in fixed-income assets, high-quality fixed-income assets. Yep. Here, we're buying high-quality municipal bonds when it makes sense, um, or um, tradable CDs, things like that. Um, but if ten year, if you feel like ten years of liquidity needs is too much for you, and, and you can settle for a few years less, a lot of times we have our modified ten year rule, it might be an eight year rule, seven year rule, something like that. The concept is exactly the same. You're just shortening how many years of liquidity that you
1: That's have. That's a risk tolerance mm-hmm. quest conversation. Sure. You know, how much risk do you want to take? I mean, the, the reason the ten year rule exists is because there's only been two rolling ten year periods since 1926 when the market hasn't made a full recovery from you know, bottom to top. Exactly Um, right. And so in in those two periods, it was essentially flat. I mean, you would have lost a little bit. um, But for the most part, you can be reasonably comfortable knowing that the market should, based on historical data, make a a recovery from any kind of downturn. You know, that includes the Great Depression. That includes Mm -hmm. previous recessions. Yeah, in theory, it would have
0: navigated you through the 30s. I
1: mean, if you think about it. it Yeah, exactly. Suffice to this. So, I mean, that... Knowing that, the 10 years, and, and I believe if I'm not incorrect about this, Nick, but the 11 years would actually take you all the way through since 1926. There's never been an 11-year uh, an period when the market didn't fully recover. Um, and so our 10-year rule really is like an 11-year rule if you think about it because right now we're covering through 2030 and we're in you know the beginning of 2020, right. so that's pretty much 11 years. Yep. Um, and so if you're comfortable with – taking on a little bit more risk, you can, you know, modify that to the next point and You can step it down to, you know, eight years. We have in the past done something where we've we've kind of left eight years in pure fixed income. Those, you know, more or less uh, the FDIC insured CDs and, you know, very low risk fixed income investments for eight years and then take the last two years off that 10 years and invest in, you know, high dividend-paying stocks.
2: I will say, you know, we do that. And I think, I think the the investment landscape has changed with dividend payers given the interest rate environment. So I think now is not comparable to 2007, 2008, 2009. Right. But those stocks actually, if you look at the Dow Jones Select Dividend Index – Mm -hmm. did just as bad, if not worse, than the S&P 500. Well, i think about what they're made up of, banks. Exactly. I was going to say that was the difference. You had probably 30-plus percentage in that index of financials, which obviously got absolutely destroyed. That's not the case now. Financials are probably 15%, 20% or less, um, and much more utilities. Mm Mm-hmm not to mention I still think even in a in a, a downturn those stocks now hold up better just because where do you go to treasuries where you can't get near the yield I think it, it, they will uh be a lot more defensive than they were Well in the, the past. dividend
1: stocks that we're buying are are going to be generally very well covered meaning that the earnings from operations more than covers That's the right. dividend so the likelihood that they're going to have to go borrow to pay the dividend or cut the dividend is lower than say a broad index like the Dow Jones Select dividend index, Um, so and you know not to say that you can't buy that index and be protected and still have the dividend income and things like that. But the way that we do it for our clients inside of our equity income portfolio is a little bit of a uh, it's in my opinion a safer way because you're you're carving out some of that quality from that index.
2: Sure, agreed. Um,
0: Well, all of that being said, I mean you you might after we have that same conversation with clients, it, it comes down to okay, well. Yeah, I do need to raise some if I want to go out 10 years because I am nowhere near that now. So where do we do that? I've got six or seven accounts. And, you know, while that can be very circumstantial depending on the client themselves, generally speaking, we're going to look to the taxable accounts first, assuming you haven't reached, you know, 72 now, yeah. uh, which is the the point in which you've got to start taking required minimum distributions from your retirement accounts. But we would we would prefer that clients take from their taxable assets first so that the, the tax-deferred accounts, like the IRAs and 401s and whatnot, uh, as well as the tax-exempt accounts, such as the Roths, can continue to grow in that manner for as long as possible. After all, that's why you, you contribute to them in the first place, right? So the longer that they can get to do that, the, the more growth they should theoretically see. And so up until the point that you start taking required minimum distributions, we would want you know the, the majority, if not all of the liquidity needs to be covered in the taxable account. And then as you approach age 72, then we start covering... Uh, those minimum distributions are at least what they're expected to be. And, you know, at that point, maybe it's a, a combination of both. You've got some right. coverage in a retirement account and some coverage in a taxable account. But it's good to have options. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You need that flexibility.
1: Well, and the other thing that we might look at, too, is if if it makes sense, if you're in a, a year or a period of time where your income is very low, maybe it does make sense to carve off some of the IRA money yep. to kind of fill up those lower level income brackets and then, you know, anything above and beyond that take from a taxable account so that, you're kind of reducing your future mandatory withdrawals um, at the same time and being able to, to get the money you need. So it is very client specific. It depends on your situation. Um, but generally speaking, Jared's right. I mean, we want to let the tax deferred assets grow tax deferred for as long as we can. And then, um, you know, spend your money that's the dividends and the interest and, and uh, capital gains are being taxed. Um, yep. So that's kind of the general rule of thumb.
2: Good discussion, guys. And, you know, kind of towards the end there, we talk about dividend paying stocks. I think it's a perfect segue into the first question we've got for this week. Um, but before we get into that, um, throughout the week, feel free to send us your questions. You can call our question hotline at 1 429 9166. Leave us a voicemail, we'll answer your question on our next show. Can be anything financial planning related, uh, investment related. If you got, you know, a hot stock tip you want us to vet, feel free to to give us a call and ask us that. Alternatively, you can email us at drgene@hensler.com. That's H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R dot com. So our first question this week, guys, Kyle from Alpharetta. I remember back in the day, Gene wanted to avoid telecommunication stocks. But now I'm seeing Verizon show up in more and more of my screenings. Should I buy? What's a good price? So my connection there from the dividend-paying stocks is Verizon is actually in our recommended portfolio for our equity income portfolio, that dividend-paying portfolio yeah. you guys mentioned earlier. Um, and to answer your question, so back in the days when Dr. Gene would say don't buy telecommunication stocks, the concern there was that there was no earnings growth. And you know outside in other sectors at the time, there was much more opportunity to get some significant earnings growth. The telecommunications sector has changed tremendously over the past two years. If you look back, I think it was September of 18 is when Geeks reclassified it. You would look at the telecom sector, you'd have AT&T, Verizon, um, CenturyLink, and maybe like two or three three more, and it was 5% yeah. or less of the S&P 500. Well, a couple of years ago, they reclassified it um, to communication services. So now if you look in there, you've got companies like Disney, Facebook, mm-hmm. um, Alphabet, or you know Google if you want to call it that. Still got Verizon, AT and T, Comcast, Netflix. So it's a much different sector now. So you don't want to avoid exposure overall to that yeah. to that sector. Um, well, especially
0: considering there's cell phones now, right? Which there weren't back then when he had first started talking about these. And you also had a more monopolistic environment, which ironically Verizon came about as a result of, right? Because of the the breakup of was it AT and T? I think. Yeah. Uh, that you know. So it was a very different landscape to to your point, Nick. I think it's. Uh, significantly changed
2: Absolutely. should be viewed and, that way. And there's still not a tremendous earnings growth expected out of Verizon as a whole, only about 3%. But what we own it for is, as I mentioned, the dividend. You, you look at its valuation. It looks attractive. It trades at about 12 times earnings, which in this, in this environment, 12 times earnings? Yeah, that's pretty cheap. Predictable cash flows? Yeah, yeah, super attractive. So couple that with the more than 4% dividend yield, and you see why we like it. Not to mention, KC mm-hmm. mentioned we like to to look at companies with a good dividend coverage. Well, Verizon's dividend is covered more than two times by earnings. So, if earnings got cut in half, they're still able to sustain that dividend. Yeah, without having to go to the bank and borrow just to cover it. Um,
0: So it's a good case for the answer to his question. Yeah. I mean, is it cheap? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I really think a lot of people have forgotten about, because I don't know why, but recently it's just been coming up more and more lately. And I keep having to remind people that I think we, in general, as investors, are becoming numb to what the market does over time because of what it's done in these recent years and so yeah. in a market like this where everything's so expensive it's not always about what can I find that's got the best growth or the most optimal growth it's we need some protection so some of it is what's got the least downside yeah. you know there's, there's got to be this balance and everybody's still How looking for these How much
2: cheaper can you get than 12 <laughs> times earnings Yeah right, right. You know, where, where can digits? I find another
0: Apple that's going to be up 80-90% to 90% over next year it's not about that at this point
2: I think with Verizon too what you have going for you is the evolution of 5g right so earnings are only expected to go three percent you have to consider they're having to invest heavily in infrastructure to build out Mm -hmm. the 5g network and then i think that's going to persist that's a forward-looking three percent expectation but they're going to have to go and bid on additional spectrum because there's limited 5g spectrum right now there's going to be an auction in the next year or so they're going to have to try and gobble that up so that they can ensure that they still continue to have that premium network which mm-hmm. justifies them charging higher prices, which right. should follow the bottom line. So once they get that capex out of the way, you'll see the bottom line starting to fatten up, margin expansion, um, and it should bode well for a company like Verizon. So yeah. well, Kyle, I'd say you know I, I'd say buy it. I think it still looks attractively valued right now. I don't think you need to wait for. Um, and it's still
0: going to give you some protection because I don't know about you, but I've got Verizon, and I don't plan on letting my cell phone go if we
1: go into a recession. In You're fact, right. it's no way. it's become a non-discretionary <laughs> expenditure. <laughs> it really that's is. It's staple-like, yeah. it's staple-like yeah, at exactly. this
2: point. All right, guys, let's take a quick break here, come back, and we'll uh, pick right back up on some listener questions. you listen to Money Talks, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Money Talks, guys. I love to go in with that song way too often, and I always screw it up because I forget how long and slow the intro is. <laughs> and every time I do, I'm like, all right, well, we'll be back in 30 seconds when we can
0: let it play in. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Good song, but slow intro. All right, guys, let's pick back up with some listener questions. And I love this next one. It, we couldn't have planned it any better. Didn't look ahead to see this prior to coming up with the dog of the week, but they seem to go hand in hand. Um, <laughs> Paul and Stewart, we'd ideally like to pay for our daughter's undergrad college out of pocket. We want to reserve loans for grad school or doctorate. Any creative ideas for finding extra money?
1: To find creative.
2: Well, Paul and Stewart.
1: So if you're listening via podcast, just rewind <laughs> to the uh, second segment. And <laughs> listen to the dog of the week.
2: Find yourself a reliable Uber driver who's ready to head <laughs> south of the border. Call up Greg Robinson, and he can give you some tips on uh, how to make a little extra income. Yeah, or get arrested.
1: <laughs> yeah, we we do not condone that type of uh, behavior, but
2: could
0: technically be classified in, in as a reality, creative idea, though. So. It is, yes. Yeah, in absolutely. all reality, have you guys seen
2: you know anyone come up with creative ways to generate you know extra income on the side. Um, meaningful. I mean, sure, there's little ways, you know, yard sale type things to to get extra money, but that's not that's not going to cover your college expenses no, by any means.
0: It really comes down to it's one of these other things that's so circumstantial. You know, how much free time do you have? What are you passionate about and and could actually make a, a bit of a side gig out of? You know, some people these days drive Uber and do pretty well if you're in the right city. Sure. Um,
1: yeah I mean the other thing is you can you can kind of look at your balance sheet and see do you have assets that could be earning you money somewhere like yeah, for instance I'll- your home you know that's something that uh, with interest rates where they are, and this is not something that we could have had this discussion like in the '80s, say. Right. Um, but I mean, you might be able to refinance your house, get some cash out of your home, and use that to pay for college.
2: Because it's, I tell you what, at at three three point six percent on a home loan, it's a heck of a lot cheaper than the seven yeah. five six seven on plus percent loan. you to be paying on student loans. This so is one
0: of the cheapest. Federal's ways.
2: lower, and you're still, I don't think, touching below five yeah. and a half percent.
0: Access to capital doesn 't get as cheap as it does against your home right now i mean it 's just not not on any kind of large scale anyways and what paying for college or not, I think that that 's something you should consider as a creative way to grow your net worth because as I was just explaining to someone earlier this week. You don't give up that asset on your balance sheet, the home, right. right? If you take out more against it, do you increase the debt load? Sure you do. But if you got that cash in the bank now that could then, to your point, be earning something, then the balance sheet stays the same. But now you've got two assets working for you. Hopefully the home continues to appreciate, and so do the stock in addition to the, the income that they provide you. So I mean, Think about the power of the leverage, too. I mean, I, I, that's it's
1: the not something thing that we like to talk estate, about, it, but, you know, you know it's – if you have a $100,000 house with an $80,000 loan and your equity is $20,000, your home value goes up 5%. So you, you make your home's now worth 105. You just made 25%, you had 25%, on, 25% your money. on your equity. Mm-hmm. and That's a pretty good return. That's the power of leverage. Yep. Now, you know, you have to be, there's a risk that comes with that, just like anything else. If, if you're getting that kind of return, it's going to be some risk to it. And in this case, it's your home, which, you know, people you feel have uncomfortable. Another taking that kind of risk with an asset that they're living in. <laughs> and, and
2: especially coming off of where where we saw home prices go during the great financial crisis, right? How many right. people lost their home. So it's a lot – it wasn't as scary back then because we hadn't had a period in memory where you saw your, the price of your home decline so greatly. Right. Yeah. Now that's in re- not-so-distant memory. People are going to be a little more uh, reserved at doing that for sure. I think something else I hear you guys talk about, I know Troy says it a lot, Don't ever, don't let this – affect your retirement either funding There's your child's that. school because they can borrow to go to school you can't borrow for retirement exactly
1: exactly yeah i mean you need to think of your own situation first i mean it is selfish as it may sound that there are other avenues to pay for college and in fact you know I, I think it does help sometimes or or make some sense to have your child with some skin in the game you know being able to without a doubt have uh, a little responsibility have maybe some debt even if you want to help them pay it off later mm-hmm. um you know make them make them earn a little bit of it yeah. while they're going to school it,
0: it'll it make them be. think twice about dropping that class at the very yeah. least yeah. oh y-
2: you learn uh, you gain some financial literacy real quick taking out loans especially when you graduate <laughs> and you say Wait, I've been accruing interest for the last four years from mm-hmm. that too long I took out my freshman yeah. year? Yeah.
1: Oh, and I paid and I, for that class that? that I didn't even take. Right. But if you do take out a, a you know, refinance your house or, or take out a mortgage to help pay for, for college, maybe make your kids pay some of that back. Charge them some kind of, you know... Rate of interest or whatever, yeah. just like it's a student loan, but it's going to be a heck of a lot cheaper than a student loan.
2: Yeah, make it, uh, help them learn a the lesson.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's other assets too. I mean, if you have, you know, if you have cash value life insurance, there's opportunities there um, to to either borrow against that cash value uh, or or even cash some of it out, depending on what your needs for life insurance are. I mean, to Jared's point, it's very circumstantial; it depends on your individual situation. But um, you know, I, I, aside from kind of getting a, a side gig. Um, you can look at your balance sheet, find financial assets that can be earning you some more money or, or give you some um some flexibility to be able to to help pay for college, but to Nick's point, don't sacrifice your own retirement at the expense of paying for college for your kids sure yeah S-
2: simple question kind of probably got a little deeper than you expected on that one, but I think it's all good information that four things to consider if you're looking for you know ways to really afford college, not just uh, sure. earning a little extra money. Um, next question comes from Matthew from Paulding County. We got one of your neighbors out here. Yeah. He says, okay, I admit, I went to one of those pop-up tax prep places. I have a super simple return since I don't itemize, but the preparer saw that I would owe this year and asked if I had contributed to my IRA in 2019, basically telling me I can make a contribution to my IRA instead of owing tax. That doesn't sound right. I know my tax bill isn't a lot, but this, this still seems too good to be true. Well, it
0: actually isn't because you would get a deduction for the contribution to that IRA, and therefore that deduction may take your, your tax liability down enough to where you wouldn't know anything, and you get to keep the same dollars that you would have otherwise at least depending
1: Depending on where your income is. You know, Correct. If your income sure. is, is above the, the threshold, which I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, yeah. but, um, then... You mean the maximum the contribution the maximum, this year is 6500 Well, just the income threshold for a deductible contribution to an IRA. Um, yeah. Oh, look, Kelly Lynn's probably got it for us. Yeah, look at there. Well, so, yeah, it depends on which which way you yeah, file. I mean, if you're married, married filing joint, 123000 um is basically the, the threshold for a deductible IRA. So if your income is above that, then it would not be deductible. Um, and so then you wouldn't save any money on taxes by making an IRA contribution. But if you have a 401K at work, contribute to that. I mean, you've got the limit there. There's no income limit. Your mm-hmm. limit, um, you know, for contributions is I think nineteen five for this year mm-hmm. for somebody under yep. uh, uh, fifty years old, and then you get a sixty five hundred dollar catch up to make it twenty four thousand.
0: Um, and you
2: can contribute until the tax deadline. Yeah, for the previous year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he so mentioned twenty
0: nineteen, yeah. so it was six thousand for twenty nineteen. Right, but right. but at the end of the, I mean, that's that's the point here is if you if you make a a contribution to a tax deferred account, so four hundred one IRA, if you're under the threshold. You get a deduction for that contribution, which in turn actually could lower your adjusted gross income and therefore bring down your tax liability and and ultimately causing you to maybe get a little bit of money back, in fact, uh, instead of owing some. And And should
1: you do that? Probably. I would rather pay myself in the retirement account than pay Uncle Sam. Absolutely. um, Yeah.
2: We all agree on that. So when
1: you've got the cash flow to be able to, to swing it, then absolutely. Yeah. Well,
0: if you're in the top tax bracket of 37% and were to make a $6,000 deductible contribution, you could save as much as 2200 in taxes, as Kelly Lynn has so generously outlined
1: for us here.
2: You got the numbers for them. us. Oh, yeah, it's Thank good stuff.
1: See what happens when we read the prep? Oh, yeah. Good stuff. She's throwing her hands up.
0: But you know <laughs> the, that that is important because you know being able to get those deductions is crucial, and I think that I would I would personally like to give some money to my own account instead of giving it to Uncle Sam. Now, there there is, I learned this early on, there's the other side of this where you've got some after-tax dollars now that you're making tax-deferred once again, and therefore, down the road, you're going to have to pay ordinary income tax when
1: you're likely going to be in a higher tax bracket. So, something to think about because, you yeah, know, d- while diversification diversification you- is something that doesn't get talked about enough in terms of... The The tax tax status. status, Exactly. I mean, we talk about diversification with investments all the time, but having some flexibility, having a little bit of money in an after-tax account, a little bit of money in a a Roth or tax-exempt account, and a little bit of money in a tax-deferred account, it makes sense and gives you some flexibility down the road when who knows what tax rates are going to be.
0: Yeah, well, Matthew didn't give us his age. I mean, if he's younger, he's got some time to let it grow. I mean, it probably is a better idea to go ahead and put it in the retirement account now, let it grow, and, and not give Uncle Sam these dollars early on that he could be keeping himself and, and letting grow over the next few decades if he's young enough.
2: Yeah, save often and early if you can, right? And that's right. Well, unfortunately, guys, we don't have time to get in any more questions. Kelly Lynn's probably going to shoot me for not getting the KB Homes, but we'll cover it next week. But just looking for the week ahead, a lot of big economic news. We've got a couple of uh, PMI uh, data points throughout manufacturing and services next week. Uh, some home price data. So um, going to be an interesting week. I think we uh, we head higher because nothing can stop this market. What do you guys think? Mark it up. Got to go up from here. Mark it up. You heard it here. Thanks for listening to Money Talks. Have a great week.
3: All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed.